The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 6. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. We concluded last time just as the witches vanished. They had greeted Macbeth and Banquo, hailing them with amazing prospects for the future, but as soon as our gents asked them any further questions, they vanished. Banquo is amazed by it all, and he speaks first. The earth hath bubbles, as the water has, and these are of them. Whither are they vanished? He likens the witches to bubbles, since both can so easily disappear. But where have they vanished, he wonders. Macbeth's image is even more poetic. Into the air, and what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind. They may have seemed like physical, corporal bodies, but now they have melted as breath into the wind, he says. Anyone who's ever been out on a cold Scottish morning, or a cold morning anywhere else, of course, will have seen their breath exhale like smoke and then evaporate. And the witches have disappeared as simply and as naturally as that. Macbeth still wishes he'd heard more, wishes that they hadn't gone. Would they had stayed? Banquo still pinching himself, wondering if any of this can have been real. Were such things here as we do speak about? Or have we eaten on the insane route that takes the reason prisoner? Were they actually here at all, these witches that we are now discussing? Or did we somehow take some kind of drug so that we've actually just lost our minds? Shakespeare doesn't specify what this insane route might be. It's probably something like hemlock, notorious for its capacity for interfering with reason. Human culture has never been short of substances that can induce altered states of consciousness, but I don't know how many of them grow on Scottish heaths. Macbeth is still thinking about what the witches foretold, and he reminds Banquo of what's to come. Your children shall be kings. Banquo very neatly completes the line with a reminder of what Macbeth's future holds. You shall be king. There are a great many shared lines coming up. I love them because in the hands of a committed acting company, they turn the whole text into a shared, almost musical experience. So keep listening out for them. Macbeth almost seems to joke about it. It seems so impossible. <laughs> and Thane of Gordor too, when did not so? What else is there to do but laugh at such madness? Sure thing, ladies. I'm going to be the Thane of Gordor and king. Isn't that right? And Banquo confirms, to the self-same tune and words, Who's here? He interrupts this when he spots two newcomers arriving. Ross and Angus were last seen getting their instructions from Duncan to go and present Macbeth with the old Thane of Cawdor's titles. Presumably here they are, ready to do so. Ross, Scotland's national messenger, is ready to go. The king hath happily received, Macbeth, the news of thy success, and when he reads thy personal venture in the rebels' fight, his wonders and his praises do contend which should be thine or his. Silenced with that, in viewing o'er the rest of the selfsame day, he finds thee in the stout Norwegian ranks, nothing afeard of what thyself didst make, strange images of death. As thick as hail came post with post, and every one did bear thy praises in his kingdom's great defence, and poured them down before him. Ross can't just say it simply, though. There's always a little intrigue to weave through it. He explains that Duncan was glad to hear of Macbeth's success, but it was such an immense success that Duncan can't quite decide whether to praise Macbeth or be amazed. 
The king hath happily received Macbeth the news of thy success, and when he reads thy personal venture in the rebels' fight, his wonders and his praises do contend which should be thine or his. And while the king is silenced by this happy conflict, which is really just a very convoluted compliment to the victorious Macbeth, Ross continues that the king has heard of Macbeth's great conquests against the Norwegians that very day, in which Macbeth was not even a little bit perturbed by the shocking scene of death that he created. Silenced with that, in viewing o'er the rest of the selfsame day, he finds thee in the stout Norwegian ranks, nothing afeard of what thyself didst make, strange images of death. There's been some debate over the next image, but the central gist is that post after post arrived with details of Macbeth's continuing decimation of the enemy, either as thick as hail, as numerous as hailstones in a storm, or as thick as tail, a huge tally of messages. The net result is the same. A great number of posts and reports of Macbeth's fight for Scotland are delivered and poured out, laid down before the king. As thick as hail came post with post, and every one did bear thy praises in his kingdom's great defence, and poured them down before him. For some reason, Angus now sees fit to interrupt. His is a very playable part. Ross has all this convoluted information, but Angus just wants to get to the point. Maybe he's excited or bored by Ross, who always gets to talk, or just eager for Macbeth to hear and his first three words conclude Ross's last line, which goes and poured them down before him. We are sent to give thee from our royal master thanks, only to herald thee into his sight, not to pay thee. We are here to tell you of the king's gratitude and to bring you to him. But he stresses, and I love this, for no particular reason he's saying not to pay you, just in case Macbeth got too excited. But Ross does have a little reward for him. And... For an earnest of a greater honour, he bade me from him call thee Thane of Cawdor, in which addition hail, most worthy Thane, for it is thine. As a prelude to a greater honour, whatever that might be, Ross has his instructions from the king to call Macbeth Thane of Cawdor, and so he's doing so. Now, Ross might have thought that Macbeth would be delighted and surprised by this, but of course, Banquo and Macbeth are absolutely gobsmacked. It's no shock to us, since we know already, but to Macbeth and Banquo this is huge news, and Banquo is very shocked. He says, what, can the devil speak true? There hasn't been anything explicit to link the witches to the devil in Macbeth and Banquo's eyes, but the latter clearly doesn't like that they were right. Only a witch in league with the devil could accurately predict a future so unexpected. Macbeth has a slightly more reasonable answer to Ross. The Thane of Cawdor lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? Here we have another clothing image that can go onto my list, but it's a good one here. Why should he get to wear a title, or robes, that so clearly belong to someone else? Angus explains who was the thane lives yet, but under heavy judgment bears that life which he deserves to lose. Whether he was combined with those of Norway, or did line the rebel with hidden help and vantage, or that with both he laboured in his country's wreck, I know not. But treason's capital, confessed and proved, have overthrown him. The man who used to be the thane of Cawdor is still alive, but he's been convicted, and is therefore under heavy judgment, and he deserves to lose his life. 
Angus isn't sure whether that thane of Cawdor was actively fighting with, combined with Norway, or just secretly helping the rebel MacDonald, lining him with hidden help and vantage. Or indeed, perhaps, he was working with both to wreck Scotland. He doesn't know. But treason's capital, for which there is a life sentence, confessed and proved, have overthrown him. So whatever else, he's not Thane of Cawdor anymore, and he's going to die. Now we start to see the effect that all of this is having on Macbeth. The witches have told him great things are coming. Even Ross has suggested that a greater honour is to come. And Macbeth is starting to believe it. Wouldn't you? He speaks an aside to himself as he wonders. Glams and Thane of Cawdor. The greatest is behind. The greatest, the crown of Scotland, may also be coming his way. Why shouldn't he believe the witches? They've been right thus far. But he doesn't stay in this reverie for very long, and he turns right back to Ross and Angus, concluding his line, saying, Thanks for your pains. We already know that Macbeth is a great soldier, so it's nice to see him being polite to those who have brought him this good news. Maybe, maybe he's going to be a good king, too. Next, he turns to speak with Banquo, understandably, but we'll save their conversation for our next encounter. Thank you, as always, for your company, and indeed for your emails, some of which have come from as far away as Australia. It's great to hear from you, and I hope you're enjoying the series so far. Do be sure to check out the website, thehamletpodcast.com, and I'll speak to you next time.